Welcome to today's podcast, Taboo Talk with Jay Louder. Today we have a guest actually in-house. It's always nice when we have somebody in-house because a lot of times we have to do it by phone because of our own travels and because of distance from different guests. But today we actually have somebody in-house. Most of you who follow us know who Sharonda is. She's been a team member, basically runs this organization and has. We've been together about 13 years. And Sharonda actually was telling me about a friend of hers that used to live in the same hometown that she lives in and how this lady had been instrumental in her life and had a very unique story. And so today we have brought her in. Pamela, welcome to Taboo Talk with Jay Louder. Thank you. I'm glad I'm here. Now, you're no longer living in Seymour, Texas, but you still are in the promised land of Texas, right? (laughs) Yes, I am. (laughs) Well, that's good. I appreciate you coming in. How far of a drive is that for you? It was two hours. Two hours. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for making the two-hour trip. I know you and Sharon are going to lunch when we get done here, so that's going to be great. Well, Pamela, let's just jump right in. Give us a little bit of background on you, on about you know your life growing up, just it, it, to kind of set the table today for our listeners. Long story short, because it's you know a long life, I was born to these two, I thought, great parents, but then... About seven years old, I had an experience with my mom saying, I wish I'd never had you. So rejection was kind of the beginning of life. And then- I, I got to stop you already. I mean, I just can't imagine hearing my mom or my dad. And I know there are other people listening that have heard that type of thing. How old were you when, when you, that was spoken to you? Around seven years old. Seven years old. What is that like at seven years of age when, in essence, what you really, I'm, I'm assuming what you're hearing at seven is, is not only do I not wish you were here, I wish you'd have never been born. I mean, it, it's a statement of saying you mean nothing, is it not? Yes. And that's without knowing it at that age, I think the performance level of always trying to please began then, maybe even before then, maybe before I even heard those words. But then always that rejection feeling, too. And you want to, as a child, you want to do everything you can to make your parents as happy as possible. Right. So what you're saying is, if I understand, it created a mindset in you that, I don't know, maybe you still struggle with it to this day, that you want to please other people because of acceptance? Is that Am I, am I reading that right? That's always the truth. And I think in, in the whole story that I have to say, most of everything I did, I did out of fear. Because I wanted to make sure, okay, well, if I do it right, if I just do it right. And so there was that always, that kind of um, overflow from my parents. When I was around 17, 18 years old, my mom felt that I was probably having sex when I wasn't. And she was upset with me. And so she threw me on the bed and beat me while my little sister was over there on her twin bed watching. And so I left home, went to live with the pastor and his wife for the night, and my parents didn't like that. So then, long story, they it, it was just a kind of a swirl for a little while. So then I, I wanted to please my parents. I didn't live there for a while, and then one of my best friend's dads died. And when he died, I just knew I loved my parents, period. I, I loved them, whether there was abuse or not. There was a lot of verbal abuse and there was some physical in those times. Not obsessive, but... But seasons of it. Seasons of it. There, did, did your mom and dad claim to be believers? Did y'all go to church? Did y'all have a... Yeah, uh, my dad, bless his heart, they're both dead. But my dad was an alcoholic. And so we'd go. he'd go to church after he'd drank, you know, some and sing in the choir, sleep through the... And we went to the typical little Baptist church in the community. And mom went if she had a new dress. And that was basically the way we knew it. It, it But so I, I, yes, daddy, daddy would profess God a whole lot more than my mom would. But she still also did claim to be a believer. 
I, I wouldn't say she really claimed to be that, no. Uh, yeah, that's a good question, but I don't think that she did. Looking back, uh, do you think that your mom and dad were actually true believers? Is that something that you ever wonder about? Oh, I, I even questioned my dad. I, dad was. Uh-huh. Dad was. He was just, he was a loving man that had been wounded when he was a younger boy and pain pills and alcohol helped take away some of the pain. Mom, I don't know. Mom just was a challenge. Wow. So that was uh, about seven years of age. That was seven to the age of 18, 19. I left home. And then at 24, I found myself pregnant. And I knew that if I, or the fear again, pleasing people and fear, I was afraid that my parents, they beat me when they thought I was having sex. What would they do if I, they found out? And so oh my at that gosh. point in time, I worked with other people in the restaurant business. And one lady had had three abortions. And she's like, oh, it's nothing, Pam. But when you lay on that cold steel table, it's something. Okay. Now, hang on a little bit. We've jumped. Now, first of all, I wanted to know, seems like I heard that you did actually become a believer at a younger age, though. Oh, yeah. I was I was nine years old, at, you know. And I'll remember the day. It was a very clear day, and it was a, a wonderful. My dad was home. He had drank too much that day. And I remember coming in and telling him, Daddy, I just got saved. And I remember him coming up out of that recliner, and tears just filled his eyes like, you know, I had done that. But, again, we can say, and I did love Jesus, and I've always loved Jesus, but there is also that. You don't know relationship with Jesus until you hit the rock bottom sometimes. Yeah. Isn't that ironic how that happens? We, just our last podcast, I was talking with a lady and she also became a believer at a very young age, had a very difficult life and knew Christ. And she says undeniably she knew the Lord, but there was no depth of relationship. I mean, it was just a very, very surface Yes, I've trusted Christ. Yeah, I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose from the grave. But as far as knowing anything about really Jesus or how to really walk with him or his purpose for her life, she had had no concept or clue. And I, I guess in a way, that's what you're saying. So you left home uh, at 18. Is that what you said? Yeah, I went to college for six months and then okay, went, went. went to college. And you still have this demeanor of wanting to please people, tracing back to what happened when you were a young child. Obviously, there are some, your your parents have put up some parameters about sexual activity. And as you mentioned a while ago, now you're in a situation where you just found out you're pregnant. And I would imagine that's a terrifying thought in lieu of what you've gone through, the beatings that you've gone through from your mother thinking that you were sexually active when you weren't. And even though now I'm out of the house and I'm in college, how am I going to break the news? And plus, this doesn't fit in very well for somebody who's wanting to please their parents of knowing that it's not going to go well. So pick up where you left off. You were talking about, you had talked with a lady and she had told you that I I presume she had had an abortion and told you it's really no big deal. And so do you come to that place of deciding that that's what you're going to do? Take, take us from there. I was actually just working in the, I not, I wasn't in college any longer and I was 24. And so this situation had happened and I realized that I didn't, I didn't think I had a choice. And you have to go back to, and it's unfortunate, we we never talked about that type of thing, you know, and I was truly ignorant that, and being around two other people, like I said, and one had had three abortions, they, it's no big deal. It's, it's not a baby. And so in my brainwaves, that's what I accepted, not having that depth of, Wow, it really is. And okay, it's not going to be a big deal. You just go in, you do it. And of course, the guy said, Oh, I'll marry you. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. He wasn't somebody that you loved. I mean, it wasn't not somebody really. you, I got not you. Really. It wasn't like it was a one night stand. It was a relationship, but I just, something. Not long term. Yeah. And I, yeah, I knew. And I was scared. I was petrified. Again, I go back, fear. Fear's the baseline you know, of, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to hurt. I don't want to be hurt. And plus, I'm assuming that this is also going to be a way that you're going to be able to conceal from your parents 
who you don't want to fail. I, yes, and my parents never knew. I finally told my sister years later. So that was part of it as well, Yes, the fear of them finding out, and this oh, is yeah. an easy solution. And plus, if you don't believe that it's a baby, you can look at it no different than having a an age spot removed off your arm or something of right. that sort. So you, you you make this decision to go ahead, I presume, and yes. have this abortion. Yes. And so what was that like? Were, were you able, because of your mindset of thinking that since this is not a baby, that it's no big deal and just move on from it? Or was there some collateral oh, damage as a result of that? It was the worst thing I could have ever done. And then lived with it for, you, it never goes away. It never goes away that, that thought of what you actually did choose with an act of your own will to do. When did you come to that realization? Because you talked about how initially you were thinking, this is not something that's going to bother me because again, it's just nothing more than a medical procedure. Right. When does it kick in? I mean, when is that? On the table. Oh, it it happens on the the table. Really? Yes. And, and it was too far gone. I was, I, the, I can still, I still have vivid, vivid memory of the cold steel table and the procedure. And that night I was kneeling by my bed and I literally had, for lack of better words, an out of body experience. I could see myself kneeling and I was just like, you know, Lord, I don't know what I did, but I know what I did was wrong. And I wept and I could feel his presence wrapping himself around me and giving me the peace that I needed. And I ended up telling a pastor that was from my hometown what happened. And he didn't live in the same town that we used to live in. And he would drive probably two hours once a week to just sit with me and talk me through it. Wow. So there was a lot of guilt, I guess, condemnation. And it stayed with me for for years until I realized, yes, I'd ask for forgiveness, but I, I really had not forgiven myself. But even at, I got married a year later, almost to the day, in actuality. Not um, with the same, it was a different guy. No, a different okay. guy. In fact, yesterday would have been 43 years ago that I had the abortion. So just out of curiosity, when you married him, was he aware or was this something you concealed from everybody? No, I told him before and he didn't handle it well, but he, he wasn't a Christian. He just didn't handle it well. But it wasn't against him. I, I don't know why he didn't handle it as great as I had hoped he would. I was, I guess I was hoping for something more, but I, I see now a lot of things that were there that I didn't see then. How long, or maybe I, I may be asking this wrong because it may be something that is even a struggle to this day. At what point do you, I mean, you, you mentioned you knew that night you got on your knees and you felt God surrounding you because you were repentant immediately. You regretted the decision that you had made. Obviously, God knew that. Do you still carry that guilt, or is that something that you're— and if not, how long did it take you to get over some of that condemnation, that guilt, and being beat up and bullied by not only the enemy, but also probably bullying your own self? Oh, I think I would say it took a good 20 years. 20 years. I now, I know we're probably jumping ahead of the story, but what is the catalyst 20 years later that finally helps you break free from this? Because there are people that are listening, and it may not be an abortion. I mean, it could be anything. Unfaithfulness to a husband. It could be—the list goes on and on. And it may have happened six days ago, six months ago. It may have happened 30 years ago, and they still have not been able to move past it. And what would you say to those people? Again, it it may be a totally different scenario that are still dealing with that guilt, that condemnation, being bullied by the enemy, being bullied by themselves. What was the tipping point that enabled you to finally, and when I say get past it, that doesn't mean blow it off. I mean, you you already recognized and admitted that it was a mistake. It was something that you shouldn't have done, but we're able to move on without it being a, a hundred pound gorilla on your back. I got up and spoke about it one time. It was just like the most lovely, joyous moment. And I did it in front of my daughters, my, my daughters knew about this from early on. I did not hide it from them. And that's why I was always very strong about their life and their relationship and their dating situations, because I'm, I, I just didn't want them to end up in that situation because I said it stays with you. And even though I'm free because I finally forgave myself, I will always remember that moment. And I've, I've seen him 
the Lord's shown me I've got him and two others in heaven and three others in on the earth. So I have all these little tidbits and I've, I've named him. I, I, I know him. But I was able to stand up in front of this group of people and say that I'd done it and what had happened. And then that was, oh, that, like I said, that was probably 18 so years ago. And about three years ago, a friend of mine was trying to really push something about loving the babies and stuff. And I was just saying, well, my thing is we love the babies, but it's the, it's the baby having the baby that makes my heart break. It's the one that's been caught in that situation. It doesn't mean they're out there being a slut. It means that there, they, there was a moment. There was a moment of weakness, and then all of a sudden there's a baby. And that young woman is trying to make a decision, but she does not know. She has no clue. She's being bombarded to be told, you've got to have that baby. Don't have an abortion, or it's her right to have the abortion. It's her body. You know what? It is her body. But she will never know what it's going to do to her body physically and her mind down the road. Because I ended up after that, we married and uh, was married. And then I had uh, an atopic pregnancy and nearly died from that. And then I had a miscarriage before I ever was able to conceive the other three daughters that I have. I've been told by several women over the years in ministry that have gone through and had an abortion that every year on the date of that abortion, uh, that it's, it's, it's like a reoccurring crime. I've heard women tell me that they, every year, sometimes it'll be, there's triggers. They'll see a, a woman and a child wonder what their baby would have been. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. You, you mentioned that you, you met this guy and so y'all got married. You, did, did I understand you correctly that you were marrying, a, he wasn't a believer, correct? Yeah, I thought he was, but he wasn't. Yeah. Okay, so what happens there? So uh, you, you meet this guy. You said you'd kind of told him he didn't handle it the best, but you're moving into marriage. Does he come become a believer soon thereafter? I mean, is this the storybook wedding, What the storybook marriage? Take, take us from there. Again, I, you can go to church all day long, and you can go to church for whatever reasons. And that was what would happen for the first 11 years of our marriage. It got to the point that I knew some things were off, but I'm having these two little girls and I'm trying to figure out what to do with life and I'm trying to make ends meet and be a mom at home and still having carried those trigger days. You know, once those trigger days were over, I I don't even think about it. In fact, when I just said that about yesterday, I don't think about it, but I honor that still too, because I honor that, that my child is in heaven waiting for me. So I just walked life out. I mean, I just did the very best that I knew how to do all the way, going to church, trying to be with people that, and doing the right thing and praying to the, to the best to make the best work. He's willing to go to church though. I'm presuming that. Pretty much until the football game was on. Yeah, but um, he went because of you, obviously, since he wasn't a believer, I'm presuming. Right. Some people go because it's good for business or whatever. I think he might have thought he was, if that makes sense, because I think there are times that you can go to a church and you think because you go that you're a believer, but, you know. And and then he went on a retreat, and he actually did meet. I feel like he did become a believer. Uh You mentioned that there was something not right, but detail that. What What do you mean? You is it a feeling that you had or were the boxes not lining up or were stories not lining up? What do you mean when you said that you knew something or was it just an inner something? All of the above. And again, the rejection. Rejection from your husband? Very much so. There would. When you, do you mean com- communicationally? Do you mean intimately? Do you both. mean all the above? All the above. Yeah. So uh, obviously for a married woman, unless there's a health condition or something, that's a pretty that's a pretty big red, excuse yeah. me, a pretty big red flag when you're talking about a husband. Yeah, there was that. And so then I thought I was too fat or too ugly or I needed to do some more work. And so then there was about a 10-year span when we did live uh, with Sharonda and she willingly took care of my last little baby. 
um, that things were were good. We were in involved in church, and it seemed really good. Um, and it was good. Um, there was a lot of wonderful things that took place, and I got to see the Lord move in mighty ways for me. He answered so many things. I just amazing things that he did. But there was still just ever so often some things. And then we left that community and I, and we, we helped, I'll back up. We helped a lot. We were in several different churches, got asked to leave a few because I was, well, not asked to leave, but it was kind of a, an opportunity that there were things that I was more open about with the Lord and the Holy Spirit. And sometimes in little churches that are more or less country churches, sometimes they don't agree with that. But as far as your marriage goes, at this point, you were fulfilled. I mean, things seemed to be going good. There was an occasional red flag, but for the most part, I I mean, you guys were involved in church. We were remodeling homes, building, not building yet, but remodeling homes, being in church, being in the community, and it seemed good. And so to anybody on the outside looking in, it's the perfect mirage. Yeah. Everybody thinks that's the marriage I want to have. They're doing well. It's a good marriage. The business is going well. Yes, sir. But there was still something that was just, it felt wrong or empty. And and, and I would go and ask, what are we doing? What's going on? And everything's fine. Everything's fine. So you, you also mentioned that, I don't want, I, I can't repeat your exact words, but Obviously, you took on some kind of a form of identity because you said you wondered if it was you. Were you too fat? Were you too skinny? Were you too this? Were you so you took part of that rejection, probably tracing back to when you were a young child and yes, told sir. what you were told. Yes, sir. You felt like that maybe this disconnect between you and your husband was due to you. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, sir. I did. I and he would dismiss that. Yes, pretty much. Yes. But again, now I know when you're wounded yourself, you know, you look at people differently. It's all about our perception. It's all about our perception of ourselves, and it's about the perception of the one you're with. What what was he seeing in himself? And I don't think that he ever was able to acknowledge himself and the pain maybe that he's actually gone through. Huh. And if you don't, you know, this is what I said, and this when. When things did fall apart about about 12 years ago is when they started falling apart. And y'all had been married how long at that time? Oh, at that time, math-wise. A, a long, long time. Y'all had been married years and years and oh, years. Yeah. I'd had two children. Oh, we have three. Yeah, we had three. Had three children. I would say we, it was probably 30, 30 years. 30 years, yeah. And so there were those seasons of questions and those seasons of something doesn't seem to be right, but they were a lot less than what they had once been. And so as far as you were concerned, you thought things were going okay. Is that correct? I didn't think things were going okay, but I couldn't put my finger on what to do. So my thing was, okay, can I fix this? My thing was, how much closer can I get to God so God can fix it? How can God make, if he can knock a guy off of a donkey, he can change his whole situation. I would go and I, what can I do? What can we do? Can we go get counseling? No, everything's fine. I went for counseling and I continued to try to get help with every avenue that I could. But I still would come home to a man that absolutely did not love me. But I loved him. I might not have liked him, but I loved him. Right. And of course, I'm assuming that since what you were told as a young child and that feeling of rejection, I mean, this is familiar ground to you, and this is painful ground to you, because not only did you deal with it from your own mom and dad, which is tragic in and of itself, now you're dealing with the very person who's supposed to love you longer and more than anybody on the planet. And I would assume that along with that, there are those reoccurring feelings of what you may have had as a child of what's wrong with me. Is that correct? That, What's missing yes. with, with me? And then I again, it goes back to the constant rejection and fear, rejection and fear. And I 
I never thought about leaving him, but I did think something might happen someday. So take us there. So you said, obviously, you've made it clear that something pivotal happened and there was a breaking point. So tell us about that day. What happens? How does everything come to a head? What do you find out? What transpires? Well, it got to a point for about, we were, we were ready. We were building our, what I would think my, was my dream home. And, but I, it just kept getting worse and worse. And there was more distance and more distance. And we were building this house and I thought we were all together in it. And I kept saying to my one friend, I kept saying, something's wrong, something's wrong. And I know something's wrong. I think there's something he needs to deal with. And this is what I will say. And I've said this over and over. If you don't deal with the hook, the hook will come back and get you because it had hooked him before. Then there was a period of time that we didn't, you know, that we were seemingly okay. And then I could feel the hook, but I didn't know. I didn't know anything else had happened before. I just sensed it. And so I kept going to the Lord, like, you've got to do something. I cannot manage. I I could feel my physical, my emotional, everything about me was going down. And it was, I was straining to make this house work and this new home that I was just absolutely so thankful that we were going to get to build. And, but at the same time, I was like, my life is, 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 this is not good. And so one day I could kept feeling something was over and over and over. And one day he just, I said, we need to talk and can we go get counseling? No. And so then he just said, I've never loved you. I wish I'd never married you. And I said, can we, what can I, what can I do? First thing out of my mouth. Want to fix it, right? What can I do? And he said, nothing. I said, can we go get counseling? He said, counseling's not going to help you. I'm like, okay. So there was a lot more said. Uh, was there a question because most women would automatically ask the question is "Is there there another right and he said no was that true it wasn't true so but i didn't know that that day you didn't know it that day but you probably still suspected it in lieu of the fact that you oh you never did no how you know it was ignorance i will say i didn't consciously think about it but subconsciously i think i knew but consciously, I began to go, okay, what have I done wrong? What have I done wrong? So I, I was, he said I was always too needy. And this is the thing. All, the, all women need to know this and men need to know this. A woman needs to know she's loved, period. And if she knows she's loved, man, it's good. A husband, he ends up with a really great life and vice versa. A man needs to know he's loved. And respected, yeah. Right. But a woman needs to know she's respected too. When a woman knows she's respected for what she thinks and how she acts and what she puts out there and that what she might want to do for her life would be great, well, they soar. I didn't know that. I didn't get that. I didn't feel that. So he says, you know, those things. And I wept for hours and hours and hours. And was he was he sensitive about it or was it pretty much, you know what, I never loved you and I'm out? No, he stayed at the house. Like he stayed there for a while. I, I I was so confused, but I heard the Lord clearly say to me, "Don't do anything for a while, and that you'll know when to do something." I'm like, okay. And then there was a moment that I heard clearly that I needed to do something, and I picked up his phone, and that was always with him. So I he didn't have it with him that one moment. The Lord told me. You need to get his phone. You're not going to like what you see, but you need to see it. Take your phone. And I did. And I discovered that. And, and it was only God. Discovered what? Disco- relationship. Oh, okay. With another woman. I see. And how long had that been going on? Had it been the years that you had presumed? With this one particular woman, it had been a, at least a year already while we were trying to build the house. So oh. it was just a difficult time, yeah. you know. And... Did you ever come to a concrete revelation that although this relationship had been going on for a year, that all those, those, those worries and concerns you had in the past, those red flags that you saw were also attributed to other relationships that he had? I don't know that. I don't, I don't know that I can say that, but 
what I do know is when I found that out, it was like I went, huh, I could breathe because I was trying to figure out what all I had done wrong. And I'm not going to say I didn't do wrong in relationship, but we all do, I, I say this all the time. It takes two to make a marriage, but it takes one to break it up. So he, he lets you know if it weren't, weren't enough to just say, you know what, let's separate, let's split up. But to add fuel to this devastating fire, he tells you that he never loved you in the first place, which brings on a whole nother set of me, you know, questions that I would have for him. And, and I, I wonder if that's something that he said, just trying to ease your pain or, or, or looking back, do you think that he really never did love you? Or is that just an excuse for him to move on with this other woman? Or is that all just... I think he never really loved me. Really? And I didn't see it. I thought he did. But this is what I do know. Sometimes if you don't love yourself, you can't love others very well. Right. So that's... And then we and then I confronted him uh, with it with some friends. And then he moved out. And that's it. And, well, it's not really it because along with that comes people moving out. It comes, uh, it affects relationships with family. It affects relationships with friends. I mean, I would imagine that there's a lot of repercussions, you know, kind of the aftershocks of the earthquake that happened in the church and with your family, et cetera. I lovingly call it the tornado because when a tornado comes, especially when Wichita Falls was just destroyed, I came through. At one time years ago, and all that's left when a tornado happens is the foundation. So all I was left with was a foundation because I was a homemaker. So I lost my job. I lost my retirement benefits. I lost, you know, all, it, it affects your children deeply. My children had to reevaluate their whole life thoughts process, their whole thing, which was that is the the most difficult part of and the devastating part for me is my kids, what it took and did to them. Divorce always, always. My parents got divorced when I was 38 years old, still bothered me at 38. So my children weren't that old yet, but still it bothered them. It, it, you, the child has to all of a sudden choose which way they're going to be. They don't want to be team mom, team dad, but sometimes they have to be team. How old were your kids at the time of you and your husband's divorce? I would say 28, 25, and 20. I appreciate you saying that the impact that it still had on, because sitting across from you at this desk and being able to see your face, it sounds as though and seems as though that all indications point to the fact that they also were devastated about this. Is that correct? And I think that's it. And y'all can't see her, but she's nodding her head and you can see the pain on her face. But the reason why I think it's important to highlight that I was, I was on a phone call with a colleague two weeks ago, and the thought is, is our marriage isn't going well, it hasn't been going well, and we're possibly looking at splitting up once the kids get out of the house. And I've heard this on numerous occasions, because there's this thought that now if we wait till all of our kids get out of the house then it's really no big deal because, you know, there'll be whatever, 18, 19, 20, whatever that age is where most kids move out. And they'll be at a mature enough level to where there really won't be any damage. They'll understand it and move on. And, and I told this colleague of mine that while that may be the perception, that's not true. So I really appreciate you saying that even though your kids were in their 20s, it wasn't like, okay, well, it didn't work out. No big deal. Love mom, love dad. Let's move on. No, it hurt them. And it still, I think it still rings bells in there because one of the things I did learn too, and this is if I could say to anyone, be careful what you do speak out loud, even though you may know some things, sometimes your children have to find things out on their own. They have to find things and discover it so that they can make their own understanding. You know, it's, it's kind of funny, like you might have a 10-year-old and you're 30, and your 10-year-old perceives something one way, but you see it completely different because you're more grown, you're an adult, you can see it more truthfully, but a 10-year-old, they may say it differently. I needed my children to see it for themselves. Right. 
So you've just been pushed off into the Grand Canyon, something that you didn't expect. At you know, one time, y'all were involved in a church. Your business was going well. Outwardly, everything looked good. Yeah, there were some warning signs, but you you didn't per- perceive that you would ever be in this place. And I would imagine you certainly didn't perceive basically a repeat of what you had heard as a young child. So I'm assuming that you land in a very dark place. Yes, it's t- it took some time. It, it was very hard. I I have many, many journals full of uh, conversations with the Lord. Uh, lots of tears, lots of crying. Uh, I call it blood on the carpet sometimes, just, you know, crying out to the Lord, like, how do I do this? What do I do? Here I am. I've lost everything. And the Lord kept taking me back to that scripture where, you know, I think it's Isaiah 54. Don't quote me yet. But where it's about he will rebuild your uh, foundations with sapphire. And I have watched him over the last seven years rebuild my foundations, rebuild my walls. But it took time and it, it's a lot. It, 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 was, it was the most difficult thing that I've ever walked through. I'm presuming that your faith played a huge role in this recovery process. And I'm presuming that although there has been a huge leap, I mean, do you ever really completely get past it? Or is it kind of like a wound that has a scab but gets ripped off from time to time? There, there was, that's a good point because that's what I would call it. It was like a wound and the scab for many years. But in the last year and a half, two years, something began to change within myself where I became more aware of who I was, who I was with Jesus. I mean, I don't see how anybody does this without Jesus. Because it's hard enough with Jesus. Right. Yeah. yeah you, you, you can, it is. But what's wonderful is that I have walked into such a place of, I would say sometimes, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive him, I forgive her, I forgive. But, you know, that's 70 times seven a day. But it was just words. But it was an action of my own will that I wanted to take place. But I didn't it wasn't grasping because up would come this like, well, here you are. Now you're going to have to figure out how else to make a living. Well, you know, support only lasts so long. Well, you are nothing. The lies, the things would hit me very strong, especially during the midnight hours. There was like battles going on daily, nightly. And then it began to change. I began to see who he loved, who Jesus really loved, who Father God liked says, you know, Pam, you're my beloved. And so once I began to learn that and get some really good understanding, teaching, I I definitely am the kind that'll sit down and say, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me today? And then I don't know the word that well, as far as like somebody telling me to quote it, he will give me something and on I'll go. And it was just like a constant rebuilding of me to where I finally got to the point that I could really forgive, to the point that I'd already said I forgave him, but I was distanted for a season out of being able to just even do anything. And there was a particular, I knew I'd seen a picture of the woman that he had walked away. Oh, you didn't with. know her? No, sir. Yeah. No, sir. So you saw a picture, I'm presuming social media or something. Yes, sir. And so I'd seen it and I was like, oh, okay. So then I was invited to a football game and I went to the football game and they were there. And I had on my little, what I like laughingly call my blue Costco coat and it's cold. And this woman is decked out beautiful, the lashes, the clothes, the nails, the whole thing. And she says, hi, Pamela, how are you? And I'm like, hi. And so then we're, we're leaving and she says, oh, I just love your coat. I'm thinking, yeah, my Costco coat while you're wearing all your decked out stuff. And there was this like, ah. so I get in my car and I am just, mad, and I'm screaming at God and I'm telling him, I want to hate them. I just want to hate them. And he said, no, I want you to pray. And I'm like, no. No way am I going to pray. And then I'm driving on down the road, bawling, and I'm saying, I, why couldn't she have just been ugly? Could she have just not been ugly? And no, she's not ugly. 
Would that have made you feel better in it some way? It would have. I would have felt better. I'm women, I don't get like, that. That's another you know, story. I don't I get that. It's, That's it's crazy. The woman thing. The hair was perfect. Everything was perfect. <laughs> you know, they got the perfect nails, perfect eyelashes. And I'm like. She's a werewolf, but she's beautiful. Yeah, so, right, I mean, it no. hurts even worse. And, yeah, this is a woman thing. And so, you know, I get home. I don't know if I can say. I grab a bottle of wine, a chunk of cheese, a bag of Fritos, and I cry for three hours. I had one friend who had gone through a similar situation, said, man, you handled that really good. I'm like, I thought I handled it horrible because I was just a wreck for a week. But during that, remember, he said to me, I want you to pray for her. And I'm like, praying for her? So then about a year later, I was at another game and she was sitting at the edge near him and he, she was cold. And I thought, oh, I have a sweater in my car. I could go get it for her. Or maybe a Costco coat. Yeah, my Costco <laughs> coat that was six years old at that point in time. I still have the coat. But I said to myself, like, oh, I could just go get her the sweater. But that thought just kind of went, Wee-wee. and so I, I didn't do it. And I get in my car, and I'm like, why couldn't I have just given the woman the sweater? She was cold. So at, then I heard at one point in time the Lord said, you're going to help her one day. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm not. So life goes on. And then I hear that they had kind of split up a little bit. And Isn't that ironic? Yeah. Yeah. Th- this is a reoccurring rinse, wash, repeat story. I've heard that this grass that's so greener, the decked out werewolf that looks so good, find out that they are a werewolf and Oh, very rarely, very rarely, though, does it last. Right. It, I mean, sometimes, but it, rarely. I wouldn't even call her that. She was a broken woman trying to find love, too. And so she reached out to me and asked if we could talk. And I had several friends say, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And I'm like, I know God told me to do it. And we sat in a place And I watched her for one hour. I said nothing. And she wept. She brought paper towels because she was full of regret, asking for forgiveness, went on and on asking. And finally, I said, I forgave you a long time ago. And then she began to open up more and shared things that in my mind had not yet been able to be resolved and or healed that I thought were true. But she made all of it come to pass. To make a long story short, we are friends. I, it even comes to the point that uh, we say, I said it had to be you. Because if it hadn't been her and the depth that God was working on her, she, she knew God, but she didn't know. And she knew what she was doing was wrong when she was doing it. But there was this, that hook again. And, and she said it had to be me because no one else would have ever forgiven her. Is she no longer with your no. ex? No. They split up. Yes. Well, like I said, more common than not, it, it doesn't work out. I find it ironic even before you got into that part of the story when you initially said that you wanted to forgive them. And I'm sure there are people that right now have been hurt by somebody. It could be a husband, a wife. It could be a friend, a coworker, whatever, family member. And they're at that place where they don't want to forgive yet. And that's even okay, too. I, knowing that I should forgive, knowing that I should want to forgive, but Sometimes that's a season to even get to that place where a person can go to God and say, God, I know it's not right that I've not forgiven somebody and I want to do it, but I can't do it right now. Help me do it. I think that's part of the transparency and being real. Well, and it comes to the point of like when he said, I want you to pray for them, pray for her. And I didn't want to pray for her, but ever so often I would because I really wasn't angry at her. I never was angry at her. I never thought she was this wicked woman. I never thought she was weird. She was really kind from what I had gathered from one of my daughters. But I, it was that I was angry that I was left that way. I was angry that I didn't get to live the the dream, the, the view that maybe Sharonda had seen when, when I, everything seemed better. I was angry that I didn't get to live that. When you say y'all are friends, do you mean distant friends or y'all spend time together? We are we associate ever so often. We don't really spend a lot of time together. Yeah, I was not able to. I didn't want that to that point, and yeah. I don't think she did either. Yeah, understandable. But it's a, a beautiful relationship of forgiveness 
that to me was the best gift I could have given myself. Is your ex still trying to fill the void with another woman or do you even know? He has remarried. He has remarried. Yes, sir. I'm not surprised about that either because oftentimes we all, we keep running to something. Well, I, I just have to look at it that it's his life and his choice and whether he has regrets or not, that's his. That's he and God. I've, I've have forgiven him. I've actually gone to him and told him I forgive him. And so it's an amicable. I would parting. say now, yeah. maybe take yes. your time. Yeah. So it's been seven years. What are you? What are you doing now? What what's what's going on in your life now? I have been for seven years working on writing two books. One about what we've basically been talking about, and another about just having conversations with God and what that really looks like that we can actually talk to Him. What would you say, you know, we come to a close today on this podcast and, you know, there's a lot here. There's a lot here in regards to fear. There's a lot here in regards to wanting to please others and realizing that there's a degree of impossibility with that. There's a a degree today of rejection and taking, assigning to your own self responsibility for things that you're not culpable for. Uh, There's a a story here of forgiveness. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some people listening to this podcast that, quite frankly, are going to say, you're crazy. I would never forgive so-and-so. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you have, and I admire you for it. I respect you for it. So there's a lot of different components to this story. What would you say to somebody that maybe, I mean, it would be hard to pinpoint because, again, we have a broad base of listeners. We have men, we have women, we have younger people, older people, every different graphic demographic, what would you say to a person? I mean, would you pinpoint one area in regards to a person who's dealing with fear or a person who's a people pleaser or a person who's struggling with forgiveness? What's the message to other people? Maybe it's a person who's going through a divorce. Maybe it's learning how to forgive. I know that's a broad-based question because we've talked about so many different aspects of pain and suffering and hurt and, to and me, identity. The bottom line is fear. All of those, rejection, forgiveness, unforgiveness, it all boils down to the bottom line of fear and how you live within that spirit, agree with it, walk in it, listen to it. It rules your every thought. And I know that's what I lived in. And I, it's not easy, but, and it's gut-riching sometimes, but to really be able to talk, talk it out with God, Show him how mad you are at certain situations because we walk around thinking as as followers of Jesus that everything's going to be all right. And everything is going to be all, all right in some way. But it's that walk of our own that every day that we have to choose to, I'm going to do my very best today not to be fearful. And it says that and don't be anxious. Okay, don't worry. Don't fret. That's not easy. That's the hardest thing. So if I think the way that I've been able to come to this, I'm not going to say I'm joyful every moment. I'm not going to say I'm free of fear 100%. But I am going to say that these moments that I've spent just seeking his face and knowing that, okay, I'm really scared. I think Jesus was scared before he went to the cross. I mean, I, who wouldn't be? It's, he's, it's normal. But to come to that point, to just be able to listen to what the Lord's trying to tell you, then you walk in forgiveness. I mean, that forgiveness of he and the, the woman the before, oh my gosh, I, I feel free. My children have watched it and they see it and they were like, mom, we know what you went through. This is amazing. It's just forgiving because my ex, which I call husband, he He's, he's, he's full of fear too. I think we all have those things. You wouldn't be doing what you're doing if you weren't fearful of something, fearful of getting old, fearful of missing out, fearful of, you know, being left alone or whatever. It's to me, it boils down to fear. Well, we all understand that the opposite of faith, faith representing trust, belief, confidence, the opposite of that is fear and fear never It may come from other people. It may come from our own minds. It may come from the enemy, but it never, ever, ever under any circumstance ever comes from Christ. 
and many people would know, 2 Timothy 1.7, that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but instead has given us the spirit of power and love and a sound mind. You quoted a Philippians verse about being anxious, being fearful. I, I Just last night, I read John 14.1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Same thing. It's an essence of saying you don't have to be afraid. Now, Again, that's easy to say, and it's easy to tell someone, don't be afraid. But the ability to apply that, and we all fail at that, but the ability to apply that comes from that foundation in Christ. And the recognition and understanding of that's not what God wants to bring in our life, and God wants to bring us peace, and sometimes that doesn't happen immediately. It's a process, but it's what he wants to bring in The one thing I will say is, like, there's when you're in any situation, and especially since we're talking now about divorce, abortion, all this, people will come up to you and tell you, well, if I were in your shoes, I would do this. And I cannot tell you how many times I've reached down and unzipped my boot to hand it to them. And I would say to anyone when they're faced with that kind of situation, no matter what it is, you know, maybe you take off your shoe and hand it to them. But most of all, you have to get to the point that you no matter whether it lines up with anyone else or not, you have to hear what the Lord's telling you. You have to be one-on-one with Jesus. Sit there with the Father. Let him hold you. Let let him take care of you enough that you hear him say, this well, is what you need to do. And that's good. And in order to hear what God has to tell you, and people listening already know this, in order to hear God, you got to be close to God. you got to know God. And ultimately, that's his purpose for you. And the purpose that the enemy has is to keep you from knowing God. And oftentimes, what the enemy does is is he brings in some of the issues that we have heard about today as a tool to drive people away from God. And so it's important that we recognize that. I love the fact that Jesus says that you can bring your issues to me. There's even one of my favorite verses in Matthew chapter 11. He says, Take my yoke upon you. Yoke is a, an old term for what oxen would wear. But what he was saying is, is I want you to let me be in control of your life because my my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I, I want you to transfer that and let me carry it. A lot of us are carrying things we were never meant to carry to begin with. Pamela, thanks for being a guest today on Taboo Talk. Such respect for you and your ability to forgive, which again, I know really you wouldn't even take credit for. God has enabled you to do that. It's not something that comes easy, but is a possibility through a relationship with Christ. And just glad to hear that after all these years, you've gotten to a place of not assigning to yourself responsibility for the rejection of other people. And hey, folks, you've heard me say it a million times. I love it. Hebrews 13. Chapter 13, verse 5, Jesus says this, I will never, never, capital letters, scream it, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The husband may walk out, the kids may walk out, whoever else. I started this thing and I finish it. Mm -hmm. Pamela, thanks so much for being on Taboo Talk with Jay Louder. God bless.